Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. You say come to the If you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull those out today. We're going to be in uh, three different places in Scripture. Genesis chapter 3, Matthew chapter 7, and then also in 2 Samuel chapter 23. Genesis chapter 3, Matthew 7, and 2 Samuel chapter 23. As we continue this morning, our series called Alphas, we're learning to become a dominant force in our world. Uh, I want to read to you our series text from Psalms chapter 8. Verse 4, and keep this on our hearts, it's kind of our central theme. It says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. And here's verse 6. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Aren't you glad for that this morning? Over the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about uh, the tactics of the enemy uh, that are designed to get you to surrender your place and your position with Jesus Christ. He is always trying to bait you into a place to get you out of position with God, to get you off of your foundation, to get you off of your center. And he is devising a plan and, and, and setting a stage, a plot for you constantly. And so what we want to do is we want to be mindful of those tactics, those plots, those plans, the way in which he operates and not allow the enemy to pull us off our center and get us out of position. With him. He will entice us, he will manipulate us, but he has lost the victory this morning. He, he uses propaganda and he uses lies. He tries to build false images and tries to persuade us to trade our place in Christ for something counterfeit. It would be foolishness for any one of us to think that the enemy is not devising a plan and scheming against us. It would be foolishness for us to stick our head in the sands and not be prepared for these attacks to come along. And I would tell you this morning, and I want you to understand this morning, that if you are living for God, and you are legitimately trying to serve the Lord, then you are going to be a target, and it's better that you know that now. But it's also vital. And this is the good news. It's also vital that you know and understand that the enemy is no match for you at all. He is no longer a, a, a problem for you in your life when you stay centered and connected to Jesus Christ. Outside of Christ Jesus, every person in this room is a lightweight. We can't even come close to matching his wit, his power, his stamina, and his deception. Outside of Christ, we are vulnerable. Our family is in jeopardy. Our finances are exposed. Our marriage is susceptible. Everything good and decent in our life is up for grabs. Outside of Christ, we are in trouble. And the enemy has an advantage. But I've come to tell you this morning. I said I've come to tell you today that in Christ, position with Jesus, you are unstoppable. You are unbeatable. You are untouchable. And my God, this morning, you are unbelievable because of what God can do through you today. Position in Christ, you are powerful and strong. And you are immovable. The devil can't hang with you. I said the enemy can't hang with you when you're living for God and when you're serving the Lord. 
The enemy can't harm you and he can't touch you when you're connected to Christ Jesus. All he has is accusations and lies and he can't touch you with those things. He may approach me with some swagger, but he's going to walk away in a stagger. Amen? (laughs) Amen. That's the way we have to position ourselves and see ourselves as powerful in Christ Jesus. Aside from Jesus, we can do nothing. But the promise of the Lord in Genesis 3.15 is this, that He may bruise my heel from time to time, but there's coming a day and a moment where I'm going to crush His head. In Christ, we are undefeatable, and the enemy is outmatched. And so this morning, I want to preach to you standing firm. Standing firm. We're talking about defending your domain. Standing in the place that God has put you and not compromising that and allowing it to be taken from us or surrendered by us. Not taken from us, surrendered by us. You know, I, I think of this it, like this, this, this stage. Let's just consider this stage my world. This is what God has given me. This is my garden. This is my area that God has designated and designed for me to operate in. He's given me all the tools within this arena to to live life to the fullest. That's what we've talked about. In this area, I have been created and gifted and equipped to be a dominant force in this arena. The only advantage the enemy has is uh, on my life is the ones that I give him. The only, the only power that he has are the, is the power that I give him. As long as I remain in the domain that God has given me, the enemy can't touch me. He can't get to me. I am seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I am made to reside in this area. I am equipped to be here. And so what he does is he stands outside the periphery of that domain and he tries to beckon me beyond the boundaries and the limitations that God has put in my life. And he's trying to convince me, if you'll just step out here, there's something for you. I've got something for you out here that you need. There's something that's lacking in this area that God's given you. And if you'll come out here, I've got something precious for you. Something special for you. But what I have to understand is the moment that I cross the threshold of God's domain for my life, the barriers that God has set, when I start to walk out here, I am exposed and I am vulnerable to everything the enemy wants to do in my life. And too many of us walk away from God's position. We walk away from God's placement. We walk away past the boundaries that God has given us. And we step into the things that the world has to offer. And it's nothing but the enemy holding bait up and saying, Come on over here. Come on over here. I've got something for you. If I can get them to cross the threshold, I've got them where I want them. It's a trap. Don't fall for the trap. Don't take the bait this morning. Understand that you've got to remain where God has placed you. And positioned you. The enemy has nothing to offer you that you need for your life. The world has nothing to offer you that you need for your life. Everything that you need resides in Jesus Christ. And so this morning I want to give you three ways you defend your domain and you stand firm. Three ways that you defend your domain and you stand firm. Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. You know the story. God says, I've given you this garden. I've given you all these trees. You can have anything in this garden that you want. Don't leave the garden. And by all means, don't eat of this one particular tree. 
The enemy brings her to this tree and he convinces her to come to the tree or she walks to the tree and she's over there and she's, she's kind of flirting with this idea of sin and flirting with this disobedience to God and he pulls her to this place and he's trying to get her to step past the boundary that God has given her. She says when she saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and she ate. And so here's the first, first way to defend your domain and stand firm is never be satisfied with good when God has called you to great. Never be satisfied with good when God has called you to be great. It says in verse 6, When the woman saw that the tree was good. When she saw that the tree was good. The moment Eve accepted good as the aspiration of her life, she compromised, she shifted off of her godly position, and she started to surrender her destiny. She saw that it was good. When good became suitable for her, when good became the ultimate goal of her life, she surrendered a great life for a good life. Now I want you to think about this this morning. The reason that we see Adam and Eve's life as a tragedy, perhaps even a failure or a forfeiture of God's best, is because we know the whole story. We know the whole story. We know that they were put into perfection. And because of their choices, they fell from perfection into a less than perfect life. If you look at Adam and Eve's life after the fall, and that is all you ever looked at, you would consider their life to be a really good life. Think about it. After all, they're living in a beautiful world. They are able to be productive in that particular world. They have each other. They have children. And overall, they have a good life. If it is, it's only when we realize and understand that what they gave up to have that good life, you realize that they surrendered such promise and surrendered such potential. And that's what makes this a tragedy. Is that Adam's and, Adam and Eve's life was good, but it was always meant to be great. Can I just tell you this morning that God did not call you to settle for good in your life. He didn't call you just to be satisfied with just good in your life. And you need to understand and know that good always has been and always will be the greatest enemy of great. Well, pastor, I didn't realize that good was a bad word. It's not a bad word. I'm not suggesting that it's a bad word, but when good is used in the context, listen to this, when good is used in the context of aspiration, it is really code for mediocre. I'll say it again. When good is used in the context of aspirations, of goals, of dreams, uh, of my ultimate uh, desires in life, it is really code for mediocre. 
The enemy will gladly give you good in your life if he can get you to forfeit great. But I'm not looking at good people this morning. I'm looking at people that have been called by God to be more than just good husbands and good wives and good fathers and good mothers. I'm looking at people this morning that God has set up for success that says, I call these people to be great and to not live in mediocrity. Amen. Remember last week I said to you that the enemy can't trade from you. He can only trade with you or take from you. He can only trade with you. He can't take anything from you. He can only get you to trade things with him. His trade is always a downgrade. It's always a downgrade on the promise of God. I remember several years ago some family members came into a great deal of money, a, a, a big lump sum of money. And uh, the first thing they did with their money is they went and they bought a car. And they spent over half of their money on, on a new vehicle. But then after they got the new vehicle, they didn't like the new vehicle. And so they went and they traded for another vehicle. And before long, they had a clunker of a vehicle and not one dime to their name because they had downgraded over and over and over again because of dissatisfaction. The enemy does us just that way. He tries to convince us that we are dissatisfied with something that God has given us. That God has prepared us for and he tries to get us to trade. And the moment we trade, we have to understand that we've downgraded the promise of God. And over time, he'll continue to get you to trade and trade and trade until you find yourself downgraded to the point of bondage and enslavement and you have forfeited everything that God has given you. Here's what happens to so many people is they get comfortable with mediocrity because mediocrity is all they know. The fact is you don't know what you don't know, right? And so if that is all you've ever known, it becomes the accepted norm of life. The hardest thing to break people out of a bad cycle is to get them to see more than what they've known to get them to reach up high enough to see something different, to dream enough and to have enough vision to see something different. If you can get people dreaming and you can get people uh, having vision for their life, then you can get them to start reaching up. But if they never thought about a better life and they've never thought about a better situation and, and mediocrity is what they've been raised in, it's what they've known and that's all they've ever experienced, then it is almost impossible to ever get them to reach up to a higher bar of living. It becomes the accepted norm of life. And that's why dreams and vision are important. And why a relationship with God is vital to those dreams and visions. Those dreams, that vision elevates my thinking. And it makes me aware that there is more to life. Every one of us need to get along with God and just let God speak to us. Let God give us some dreams. Let God give us a new vision for some areas of our life that we're struggling in. God will give you a new picture to aspire to. For many of us, there is a great unknown. And the truth is what you don't know may be keeping you from it. Or what you do know may be keeping you from it. What you've experienced may be keeping you from experiencing something else. In our Christian walk, 
I hear it all the time in the, in the context of Christianity. Well, I've never seen God work like that. That doesn't mean He can't. That doesn't mean He doesn't want to. What he might be doing is trying to give you a new picture of the grandeur of who he is. He might be trying to expand your thinking on on the omnipotent power of a great God who, who is limitless in all of his capacities. And so it's because we've known this a certain way, we can never experience something new. Let God give you a new vision for your life. If good in the context of aspiration is really cold for mediocrity, then I can't settle for that. I have to seek God for His best. And here's why. Here's why. Settling for mediocrity primes me for compromise. Settling for mediocrity primes me for compromise. I have a question for you today. Why was Eve hanging by the tree rather than hanging out with Adam? What did God tell them to do? He said said to cultivate the garden. He said multiply... He said, you know, um, subdue the, the, the earth uh, to be dominant, to have dominion over everything. That's what he told him to do. Why is Eve hanging out by the tree and not cultivating the garden and working the ground with Adam? What was Adam doing? Another question is, what was Adam doing while Eve was off by the tree? I believe that Adam was probably doing what he was told to do. But the fact is, he wasn't doing everything that he was told to do. Why was Eve over there? Probably because she had tried to talk to Adam about ten times and he was ignoring her. (laughs) Amen. I knew the women would say amen to that. Is it truth or not? And so finally she's like, oh, you're too consumed with your work. I'm going to go find something else to do. And she's wandering around. She's dissatisfied. She's bored. She's allowed mediocrity to begin to penetrate her life. She's become satisfied with the world that she's living in rather than cultivating it and growing it and developing it into more. I don't think that Adam's off the hook by any means. I think he's a party to the whole problem. But here's what I want you to hear. A refusal to work in the context, the current context of life, a refusal to work in the current context of life always creates a realm for mediocrity to flourish. When I refuse to put my hand to the things of God that God has given me, when I refuse to put my hand to, to my job, when I refuse to put my hand on the things that God has trusted me with, then I am allowing mediocrity to flourish. He said, everything you put your hand to will prosper. So the reverse of that has to also be true. That everything I refuse to put my hand to will plummet into mediocrity. A refusal to work in the current context of life always creates a realm for mediocrity to flourish. My marriage becomes mediocre when I quit working at it and I say to myself, there's no need because it's good. I can't tell you how many husbands and wives that I've had in my office over the years that have said to me, Pastor, I didn't know anything was wrong. I thought it was good. I didn't know we were having issues because I thought it was all good. It was good and that's the problem. You quit working at it. You quit investing in it. 
You couldn't put in time and effort in it. You settled for mediocrity when God called you to aspire to great. My church life becomes mediocre. Why? Because I've settled into a stagnant routine rather than investing myself, investing my talents to make it better. I'm saying to myself, there's no need to do anything because it is good. God hadn't called us to good. Don't settle. Ladies, don't settle for a good guy. Guys, don't settle for a good girl. Don't settle for good kids or a good life. Work that into great. It's not meant to be good. It's meant to be great. Good and mediocrity, those things are your enemy. And it sets you up for compromise. When God's best is my aspiration, I counter the effects of the world's pull through my desire to advance toward His best. Isaac Disraeli said this, It is a wretched taste to be gratified with mediocrity when the excellent lies before us. Don't settle for good. God has called you to great. The second thing this morning is that we have to stay centered. If you want to defend your domain, you want to stand firm, you have to stay centered. In, a football, in football, one of the things that they teach you right off the bat is to stay low and keep a low center of gravity. If you want to have the power to overcome your opponent, you have to stay low. You're much harder to move out of position when you stay centered. Remember that the enemy is always trying to get you to shift off your foundation. That's his goal. He's trying to bait you into moving out of the realm of your domain and he is beckoning you beyond those boundaries and God has established that God has established you in and I'm telling you this morning you have to stay centered. Stay centered. Matthew 7 Verse 24 says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Why? Because it did not stay centered on the rock of Jesus Christ. When the enemy is able to push you off your foundation, he has the advantage and he has the upper hand. So stay centered. Staying centered means I refuse to compromise. I am staying steadfast with the Lord. I'm staying solid on the foundation that Christ Jesus has given me. It's about establishing some values. It's about establishing some some values that I will not compromise on no matter what. It's about believing in something greater than yourself and then living accordingly. Don't sell out this morning to cheap living. Too many people today sell out to cheap living. They sell out to what is convenient, what is expedient, what is comfortable, what feels good. And to me, I'm telling you this morning, I believe by the power of Jesus Christ, the written word of God, that that is just cheap living. God has called you to more than that. Stay centered in His truth. The world wants you to shift your positions and propaganda is designed to get you to question The very truth of God's word. Staying centered is always strengthened through staying connected. You want to stay strong, you want to stay centered, then you've got to stay connected. Stay connected to the body of Christ. 
You'll be stronger, wiser, safer when you stay connected to the body of Christ. Proverbs 10.25 says, When the storm is swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand forever. Every time, every time that I stand through a test or a trial or temptation, that that is a victory for me. That is a win for me. And every victory, every win is a stone that is added to my foundation. It only strengthens my resolve. It only strengthens my stance. It only puts me in a position to even flourish more. You know the scripture well in 1 Peter 5.8. He says, be, be alert, be sober minded. Because the enemy is like a roaring lion looking and seeking whom he may devour. It says in verse 9, though resist him, stand firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You're, strong, you're stronger, you're staying centered when you stay connected. Why? Because there's somebody sitting next to you that's already overcome what you're facing today. And if you'll get with them, they'll help you to overcome it too. They'll stand with you toe to toe, shoulder to shoulder, hand to hand, and help you to overcome the difficulties of the enemy. You have to stay connected to the church. The last thing that I want to tell you this morning is that when we're defending our domain and standing firm, we have to be quick to push back. Be quick to push back. When the enemy pushes you, you push back. Don't be the person who lets the enemy pick on you and push on you. When he tries that stuff, that junk, you push back. You're going to have to understand that to maintain position, you have to fight for position. There's a great story in 2 Samuel 23 and 8. It talks about David's mighty men. And there's a couple of guys that I want to point out this morning. One named Eleazar. And I won't read it just for time's sake this morning. But it says, as one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistine gathered uh, gathered for battle. Then the Israelites retreated. But Eleazar stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. Everybody else runs out on him because the enemy's coming at him and he says, I'm not turning and running, I'm staying and fighting and I'm going to fight until I can't fight anymore. When the enemy pushes you, you got to push back. It says the, the, the sword froze, cleaved to his hand. Boy, we need the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, to cleave to who we are and to be able to stand and use that as a weapon against the enemy. When the enemy comes at me with lies, I counter that with the truth of God's Word. It says next to him was Shammah. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field of lentils, Israel's troops fled from him, but Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. Again, everybody with him runs away. Shammah's out there in the middle of a field of lentils. I don't know if you've ever ate lentils before, but I'd have been with the other Israelites and said, they can have those things, they're nasty. Tastes like junk. But he says it's not about what they taste like. It's about me cultivating. It's about me developing this. It's about me working this ground. It's about the blood, sweat, and tears that I've spent making this work for me. And I'm not about to give it up because some enemies decided they didn't want to work for something. They didn't want to put the effort into something. And now they're trying to take what I've invested my life into. 
push back. Push back. Push the enemy back. Fight for your position. Speak truth in the face of fear. Speak truth in the face of fear. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. If Morgan, would you come? It says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, knowing, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not wasted time. It's, it's not an exercise in futility. It is good things working for my future. It is investment that is going to produce. It's, it's about sowing now for a due season later. Romans 16 20 20 says and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly 2 Chronicles 20 17 says you will not have to fight this battle it says take up your positions stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you Judah and Jerusalem Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. You go out, face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. You don't have to fight these battles. You just have to take up your position in Christ Jesus, stand firm, wait on the Lord, and see if He will not come through for you. I love that it says, go out and face them tomorrow. Every one of you are going out tomorrow and you're going to face different circumstances and situations. Some of you are going to face things that I can't even begin to imagine. Some difficulties, some challenges, some uncertainty. There's a lot of that stuff that just waits for us on the other side of this service. But the Lord said, you go out and face them tomorrow. And you see that if you will stand firm, If you will take up your position in Christ, see if I will not bring deliverance to you. That is the promise of God to each and every one of us in this room this morning. Would you stand? We hope you have enjoyed and been encouraged by this message. We'd love for you to join us at the river on Sunday mornings at 945 for Sunday school and at 1030 for morning worship. We also provide our midweek service for all ages on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you'd like to support the various ministries at the river, please go to our giving tab. We would love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street in Burkrenet, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us at the river. Till I found myself face down on your shore. Say, come to the river.